Well, how are we doing this morning? Man, it is, it's been a really good weekend, a special weekend for me and to, to get away. And like I said in my very first talk, uh, I, we have four kids that are seven, four, three, and almost two. So to have two nights in a hotel where I can just go to sleep and not be woken up by screaming children has been really, really nice. So thank you, Temple Bible Church, for that. All right. Um, yeah, so man, I just, uh, for those of you who maybe uh, this is your first morning uh, with us and you haven't been here all weekend, I just want to welcome you and say glad that you're here. Um, man, I was, I was asked to speak through the, the core values of, of your church, which is surrender, community, and mission. And what all you've missed so far is this, that the first talk we talked about community, that all of us have an ache for community, that our hearts are, we have this ache and we will go after anything in search of anything until we can satisfy that ache. And what I said is in two ways, we have an ache to know our God vertically. We have a, a, a ache to know our creator, but, but more than, or, or additionally with that, we have an ache to belong somewhere. That's why people will paint their bodies and follow a football team and look absolutely insane and give hours and money of their time and their passion to be committed to the mediocre Dallas Cowboys. And that's my team, too. Right. But but we will sell out our our whole our whole body for the sake of a vision of of having this sense of unity and community. And that was our first talk. And so that we talked about that Jesus has made us for himself and for one another. You, you, something will be missing in your spiritual formation until you belong to a community of people who can know you and who can help grow you into all that God has made you to be. The second talk was on surrender, that that community isn't, that, that there is basically a way into what Jesus has for you. You have to surrender your life. And last night we talked about that text where Jesus says, if anyone loves anything else more than me, you're not worthy of me. It's one of those hard texts in the Bible where Jesus challenges us and says, do you really want to follow me? Like, do you really love me? And we talked about the joy of surrender, of like, man, surrendering whatever our false vision of for life or whatever. If we think, oh, marriage is going to make me totally happy or college is where I'll find my true self or, you know, when I get a job, then I'll be totally happy. All of those things can be good gifts, but that's not where we find our sense of identity. Jesus has given us for himself, and he tells us who we are. And those are basically the summarization of those two talks. And today's talk is we're going to close on mission and the part we play. Mission, the part we play. Now, if you will, would you open up your Bibles or look with us on the screen into, we're going to jump in a couple different places. We're going to look at the closing of Luke's gospel in Luke 24. We will look at Acts 1-8. We'll look at a couple different verses, but the, the, whole, the whole direction of human history is headed towards an end, and I, wanna, I want you to see what Jesus says it's headed for. So if you will, matter of fact, why don't we just pray one more time before we read this text? Father, there's countless distractions both in this room and in our hearts, whether it be our phone or our friend or the own thoughts in our mind. Would you silence those things? We are so hurried. We are, there are so many people calling for our attention. There's so many things in our hearts that are screaming at us lies. And God, we just need a moment where we're just say we surrender and we want to hear from you. You come where you're wanted, and we as a people just say, God, we want you. You say in James, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. And so, God, we just, in one voice, we just say, come to us. Speak to us in a fresh way. Fill us with your spirit. Speak to us. Show us what our lives are made for. 
and drive away everything else that is calling us to lesser things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Luke 24, I'm going to read 44 to 53. If you're with me, hear the word of the Lord this morning. It says this. So the scene here is after Jesus has been crucified and resurrected, and now he's eating breakfast with his disciples. And they're freaking out. They're like, no, you look like a ghost. And he's like, give me a piece of fish. Let me show you that I'm not. So he's, he's fully man, but he's also glorified in this new resurrected body. And he says to them, look at verse 44. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written, so he's speaking of the Old Testament, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to where? All the nations beginning or starting from Jerusalem. Verse 48, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now look at this, one of the craziest scenes in the Bible. And he led them out as far as Bethany, lifted up his hands, and he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Thanks be to God for his word. One of the other gospels says that as he was lifted up, some doubted. They were like, no, that's not real. Like they saw Jesus float up into the sky and they were like, man, like what is, what just happened? If there's a scene in the Bible I wish I could find myself in reality, it would be in Luke 24 where he tells them, Hey, listen, listen, listen. You know the whole, the whole Old Testament? It's about me. Let me explain it to you. And he takes a moment. Yeah, I, well, for one, I'm like, how long did he sit with them to, like, explain this whole thing, right? He's, like, sitting with them saying, hey, the whole Bible, you know who it's about? It's about me. You know, in Genesis 1, when they walked with God and they were in God's presence, I was there. Do you know that when they sinned and rebelled and they were driven out and, and God promised them, hey, someone is going to come from Eve's line. Someone will come from the lineage of her womb and he will crush the work of, that, of, the, of the serpent, that liar that tricked them to believe and to follow and to say, maybe God's not good. Maybe my own way is better. That promise in Genesis chapter 3, you know who it's about? It's about Jesus, that he would come and destroy the work of the enemy and actually bring them back into into the presence of God. You know how when, uh, when Noah actually says, hey, come into the ark, come into the ark that you can be saved, you know what that is? That's a picture. That's a picture of Jesus that he would say, hey, there's only one way out of the flood of God's wrath. There's only one way to get out of the flood of the storm of God's judgment. You come into the door of the ark. That ark is just a picture of the cross, that there's one way to come into everlasting life. And it's through Jesus. And he's basically saying right here in Luke 24, the whole Bible is about me. And only through me is there forgiveness of sins. But what does he tell them they need? He tells them, before you go out into the world, here's what you're going to be. You're going to be my witnesses. But before you take off, wait. Because you need the promise of the Father. My daughter is seven years old. And last year, she started kindergarten. 
And as I, I'm, I, those of you who've already heard me talk twice, you know I'm, I'm, I'm a very expressive, emotional inv- individual, right? My, my wife is more detail-oriented and thoughtful and plans out our day and things like that. And I just follow my gut, right? I'm just intuitive. Well, we pull up to drop off our six-year-old to kindergarten, and I, I'm not an anxious person, but all of a sudden, I started having a panic attack. I was like, wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Baby, baby, I didn't even know you are right there. I'm, so, I'm all up in your business, my bad. So I start, I'm about to drop off my six-year-old, and I start going through, like, wait, hold on. I'm about to drop off a six-year-old to some folks that I've never met. Like, and then she's going to have, like, friends, and what if her friends are on drugs? I'm like, yeah, it's a six-year-old, whatever. Like, but I'm like, dude, have I given her all she needs? And I'm like, hey, Chandler, Chandler, listen, listen. Be nice to your friends. Like, listen to your teacher. Hey, and when you poop, wash, wash your hands because you, you don't. You don't wash it. You don't wipe really well. Like there's like all these things going on in my mind where I was like, dude, I don't know if she's ready for the real world. Like that was literally my thought. And then I was like, hey, I love you in Jesus' name. Jesus be with her and like protect her and like don't let bad people like have anything to do with my daughter. Protect her by loving. And she's like, dad, chill, chill out, dad. She's like, and then I'm like, man, did I make her anxious? And I'm going through this this whole parenting's terrifying, dude. Like, be nice to your mom and dad. Like they're trying their best, dude. And they're probably failing. All right, I'll get off of that. Like, be kind to your parents. It's freaking hard. Now, in a similar way, I went back to the house, and I just calmed down. And my wife was like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, baby. I'm just like, all I'm thinking is, have we equipped her? Have we given her enough to go into the world and, and, and to say yes to certain things and to say no to certain things and to be loving? And I think in some ways, The Lord had to, like, touch my heart and be like, Casey, you've poured into her. You love her. You've spent time with her. You have have shown her love. You've taught her things. You've taught her how to be a person in the real world. Like, let her go. Let Let her succeed and let her fail. But you'll, in some ways, Casey, you're with her. What you've taught her will be with her. And I think in some ways, this is what Jesus is saying in Luke 24. Jesus is saying, I'm about to go back to the Father. I'm ascended into heaven. But wait until the promise comes upon you. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And in some ways, the Holy Spirit is the presence of Jesus to them. That the Holy Spirit will be the continuation of all that Jesus has done with his friends and his disciples. God wants to be with us like a good father all the day long. He wants to be with us and speak to us and equip us and remind us of his love and to show us the part that we get to play in the real world. In verse 48, when he says, you will be witnesses of these things, what he means is this, you have seen Jesus alive, and you can't be silent anymore. No fear can stand in your way, no threats of the world, no inner, well, I'm an introvert, and I don't know if I can talk about Jesus. No, 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 bro, like, you've seen him. No matter what your personal quirks are, Jesus is going to give you his spirit to overcome those things that you might be a faithful witness to the world. And he wants two things from us. Say two things. Say two things. Wake up. He wants relationship relationship and partnership. Say those two things. Say relationship and partnership. God wants us to know him and he wants to he wants, he wants us to play a part in what he's doing. So point number one is this. If you're taking notes, the promise of the Father, what Jesus says they're going to have is this. The promise is his presence. The promise is his presence. Look back in the text in verse 49 with me in Luke 
24, 49. And behold, he says, you're witnesses of these things. Meaning, not just you know uh, Christianity, but you've actually seen Jesus. Like, you've seen it with their literal, if you were in the sermon this morning, Pastor David talked about, no, they have seen it with their eyes, they've heard it with their ears, and they've touched Jesus. They've been friends with him. It's not, it, Christianity's not just a construct. It's not just a message. It's not just a building or like uh, some system. No, it's a commitment to a person. Jesus is a literal person who we can know, and he can know us. The Father is a person. The Spirit is a person. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for all time have existed as a community of love. The Father loving the Son in the presence of the Holy Spirit. God existed before he created anything. And when God created everything, he, didn't, he wasn't lonely. God didn't say, I'm so lonely. I need, a, I need, a, I need, someone, I need a, a kid to play catch with. Like, I need, I need friendship. I'm so lonely. God wasn't in the universe lonely. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was actually full of joy in community, in relationship with one another. And out of the overflow of the love of God, they create the world. God creates the world. And in that, the promise of the Father was always that one day he would send the Son to save us from our sins, and then he would send the Holy Spirit to empower us to be his witnesses in the real world. I read this article a while back from, uh, in 2019, The Guardian. It's a, basically, they write a bunch of articles reflecting on things going on in culture. And they talked about how in 2019 and then in 2020 and 2021, uh, in 2019, people who, uh, you guys ever heard of tarot cards? Or have you ever heard of astrologists or people who practice pagan dark magic? Now, some of you are saying, like, what? I've never, like, where, where are you going with this, all right? So in 2018 and 2019, the percentage of people who were, who were looking for spiritual encounters. So in our culture, there's been this massive decline of people who say, yeah, I think God exists, right? So there's been this influx of people denying the reality of God. Simultaneously, there's been an increase of people longing for spiritual experiences. So track with me. Look at me. It's people saying, hey, there's no spiritual realm. There's no God. There's no Satan. There's no evil. There's no angels. Simultaneously, there's something in my heart longing for spirit, something in my heart longing for experience that I know I'm not just flesh. Like there's something to the world that is spiritual. Every atheist in the world would say that, would say, yeah, I don't believe in God, but I do have this ache for what do I do with the spiritual realm? Now, what this article says is that as the COVID pandemic increased, the amount of people who were looking for something to grasp onto, people started uh, reaching out to tarot card readers of saying like, hey, flip over some cards and tell me my future. Like flip over some cards and give me some peace and call out to these spirits, whatever they are, and tell me that I'm going to be okay. So there was this increase of people who are looking for some sort of spirituality. And I don't want to laugh at that. There is something that is to be mocked and laughed at in that, that, th that we would really think you're going to flip over some cards and it's going to tell you your future. You're going to call somebody who's going to look at the stars and say, hey, those stars align. And what that means is you're going to have a future full of love. Like, come on, bro. Like, you're not that dumb, right? Like, so there's part of that that can be mocked. There's part of that that's extremely sad. And what that means is all of humanity 
is longing for reality. They're longing for a spiritual encounter. And I want to say this. We're made for it. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you haven't gone to something dark. But maybe you're saying, no, I have an emptiness, and I'm longing for presence. Well, I would say to you that this is what Jesus offers us, to know him and to experience his love through the Holy Spirit. A, a quick biblical theology for those of you who are saying, where are you getting this idea from? Okay, so hold on. All throughout the Bible, you see in, Je- in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve are removed from the presence of God. They're longing for the presence of God, and they lose it. Later, you see the sacrificial system that God is holy and people are not, and therefore there's separation between God and humanity. But God, longing that, that his people would be able to come into his presence, what does he do? He creates the temple in the sacrificial system. And he says this, you are sinful and I am holy. So here's what has to happen. There is no forgiveness of sins where there is not blood, where there is not the outpouring of blood. And he sets up this disgusting over and over deathly system where people would sin. And depending on the the severity of the sin, so you did a little sin, you would kill a bird and pour out the blood of the bird and burn the, the blood on the altar and say, God, forgive me of my sin. If you committed a great sin, you cheated on your wife, or you stole on your taxes, or you, you, you did something that you just felt so guilty for, he would say, man, that, that sin, particular sin, would require a, a goat, or a bull, a bull or, or, or sheep, or a lamb that would be slain. And, the, and that innocent animal would receive the penalty for your sin. And when that sin was handled and taken care of, then you could come into the presence of God. Where there's forgiveness of sin, you can be near God. Where there's no forgiveness of sin, you cannot be near God. Three other places in the Bible. God, in Jeremiah 33, in Deuteronomy 30, in Ezekiel 36, if you're taking notes, you can go to those places later. God promises a new covenant. He says, hey, the blood and the bulls and goats, that all is going away, and here's what's going to happen. Instead of you following the law externally, I'm going to come inside of you. I'm going to write my law on your heart so that you will not just be following a law externally, but you will actually feel from your heart, I will cleanse you. Ezekiel 36 says this, 36, 27 and, uh, 26 and 27, God says, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I'll take out your old heart of stone and give you a new heart of flesh and put my spirit within you. Friends, do you know in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, Jesus tells them, you will be my witnesses in all the earth, but wait. Before you go, you have to wait on the promise of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, the Spirit falls, and the Spirit fills the church, and everyone there starts speaking in different languages to empower and so that they can be a gospel witness to, to different nations all over the world. And people, when the Spirit is poured out, they're like, what is going on? Are they drunk? Like, are they, are, they, are they drunk? Why are they speaking in different languages? And Peter stands up and he says, brothers and sisters, they're not drunk. It's 9 a.m. If they are, it's going to be a rough day. He says, they're not drunk. They're full of the Spirit of God. This is what God promised, that he would pour out his Spirit on sons and daughters, men and women, rich and poor, slave and free, black and white, that he would pour out his Spirit on all of us and make us a people. Friends, do you know the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? God wants you, the entire Christian life, look at me, the entire Christian life is to be lived not just with knowledge, but with experience. 
Now, the Christian church is often divided into those two camps. Are you tracking with me? You've got, you've got camps that say, hey, we're just, we just teach the Bible. We just teach the Bible, and we just want you to know a bunch of things, and that's good. We need good theology because the church is terrible in our theology and our thinking about God. 50%, there was one Barna survey, survey that said young adults right now, 50% of people 18 to 29 think that Jesus was a created being. Our theology in, our, in the church today is awful. Jesus is not a created being. Jesus was always with the Father, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus is God. He's eternally the Son of God. So we need good theology. But on the other side, you've got the spirit camp. <clears throat> you've got churches that are like, get the Bible out of my face. I don't care about the Bible. I don't care about knowledge. I just need God's presence. I just want to get lost in worship and get lost in the spirit and be filled with the spirit. And then this side makes fun of that side, and that side makes fun of that side. With Jesus saying, wait, 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 wait. No, my, I, my gospel is full of truth and full of spirit. You with me? The, the Christian message is not to be divided. We ought to know God's word and to know God's Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Dane Ortland, you guys ever heard of a book called Gentle and Lowly? You guys heard of that book? It's, it was last year, I believe it was the Christian book of the year. Right? Go to, if you want that book too, I know, I know I made a joke last night about buying books. If, if you're a reader, this whole book is about the heart of Jesus. Go to Pastor David and say, hey, I want you to buy me a second book. Right? That book is called Gentle and Lowly. It's really easy to read, about 120 pages. And on chapter 12, he has a, a, a chapter called, okay, if we have Jesus, why do we need the Holy Spirit? You with me? You ever asked yourself that question? If I have Jesus as my Savior, why do I need the Spirit? to fill me. Why do I need it? And he says this. I believe we have the quote. Yes, we do. It says that the Spirit takes what we read in the Bible and believe on paper about Jesus in the heart of Jesus and moves it from theory to reality. Look up and read this. From doctrine to experience. It's one thing as a child to be told that you're loved by your father, but it is another thing unutterably more real, to be swept up in his embrace, to hear his beating heart and feel his protective grip. It's one thing to hear your father loves you. It's another thing to feel his love. This is the glorious work of the Holy Spirit. You get that? I made a joke last night that we all want to be loved and doted over. That if our, if our father, our mother, or someone who really cares about us were to not just say, I love you, but actually to, to express, no, I love you. Like, no matter what you do, I love you. You're my child. I love you. And we feel their heart beating, and we feel their protective grip. What Dane Orland is saying in that is that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your heart. The Holy Spirit has been given to you as a believer so that you can know the, the, the salvation of Jesus and the love of the Father. Friends, do you want that experience more? Ask yourself this morning. Do you want that experience? Do you want to know more of that experience? And I want to say this. Sometimes we're scared of that experience because we've seen some people mistreat the teaching of the Holy Spirit, right? But we don't have to be afraid of false teaching. We, we need to pursue true teaching. You with me? We need to, if that's a real experience, we can have more of the Holy Spirit. I want it. I don't know about you, but I want more of the presence and power of the Spirit in my life. And I want to say this. If the first century disciples needed to depend on the power of the Holy Spirit to follow Jesus, how much more do we today? How much more should we also rely on the Holy Spirit to know the love of the Father and need the power? So I want you this, if you're in that place this morning where you're like, man, I feel dry, ask the Father, Father, 
Will you fill me with the Spirit in a new way? I have the Spirit if I'm a believer in Christ, and yet the Bible says you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Maybe, maybe you go to God and you say, God, fill me with your Spirit. Now, why? Is it just for you? That leads me to point two. No, the point of the Spirit isn't just that you would know the love of God, but that the, the love of God would get into you so that it would come out of you. Point number two, His presence or His Spirit, His presence empowers the mission. So his promise is his presence. It's given to those who believe in Jesus. But number two, his presence is for the empowerment of his mission. The world is, about, the world is not about us. The world is about the glory and kingdom of Jesus. And Jesus, before he ascends into heaven, in that verse, in verse 47, he says, you're going to be a witness for me. It's not just about you. It's about me and my kingdom and the glory of my Father. And you need the power of the Spirit if you're going to go into the world and witness to the world the reality that Jesus is not dead in a tomb in Jerusalem. Jesus is alive. Every spiritual, every religion is built off somebody that's dead. Muhammad is dead. Buddha is dead. Confucius is dead. Jesus is alive. There is one Savior for all of humanity. His name is Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and he is not dead. He is alive. 500 people saw him alive, and the church exploded all over the world. If Christianity was a false religion, it would have been stamped out. They would have destroyed the church in the first 500 years, but it didn't. The church exploded all over the world. That's actually one great defense when people say, well, how do you know Christianity is real? Let me give you an example. You remember the story I told you last night, about, or maybe the first day, about Peter? You remember who Peter was scared of? Who was it? Think about it. The night Jesus was crucified, who was Peter terrified of? Not God. Well, maybe he was. He was terrified of an eight-year-old little girl. There was a girl that, you remember this story? I didn't say this. I'm a moron, Okay. Here's the story. The night Jesus is betrayed, Peter betrays him how many times? Three, right? Now that night, as they take, as they kidnap Jesus illegally, and they, they come and they take him, and it's in a total injustice, Peter follows, and there's a little girl who says, hey, you're a Galilean. You're one of his followers. And what does Peter say? Do you remember? I don't know him. He's terrified of a little girl. And she's like, you're a liar, dude. What are you tripping about? Like, I saw you. I saw you with him. And he lies to this little girl, and he's so terrified. Why? Because if they kill Jesus, they're going to kill him. And so he lies to this little girl, and he lies three different times. I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. And you remember what happens? Jesus leans over as he's about to be beaten. And he had told Peter, you will deny me three times before this night, before the rooster crows. At that moment, the Bible says something crazy, that Peter hears a rooster crow, and he sprints off and weeps. He knows he's denied his master. But right here, at the end of Luke, and at the end of John's gospel, it says that the disciples are out fishing in a boat, and someone from the shore, who now is alive, says, hey, y'all, come on in and get some breakfast. I got fish and bread right here on the sea. And Peter is out fishing, and he looks, and he realizes it's Jesus. Remember that story? What does he do? He jumps out of the boat, fully clothed, and he swims to Jesus. It's funny because in, 
in, in another gospel, it says John got to the tomb first. Well, here, Peter's like, I'm not getting beat again, bro. I'm getting to Jesus first this time. And he he's like, maybe I can't outrun John, but I'll outswim him, right? And he gets to, Pete, to Jesus first. And Peter's, uh, Jesus says to Peter, listen to me. Maybe some of you need to hear this this morning. You feel like, man, I'm, I'm a total liar. I pr I've got a false image of my Christian faith that everything's great and I love Jesus and I'm... I'm enjoying him, and right now I know I've constantly denied him. And Peter, uh, Jesus looks at Peter and lifts his chin and says, Peter, now he was crucified. He's now alive. He says, Peter, look at me. Do you love me? Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you. And he says, then go strengthen my church. Peter, do you love me? Peter's like, I you know I love you, Lord. You know I love you. And he's like, then strengthen your brothers. Peter, do you love me? He's like, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And he's like, then you're going to go for me. You will be my witness. You're going to go into all the earth, and you're actually going to suffer for my name. Be ready. He goes, Jesus restores Peter. Even though Peter has disowned Jesus and rebelled against him, and I want to say this to you this morning. No matter where you are, if you would come and ask Jesus for forgiveness, he will restore you and help you and kind of refocus you and put you back on track into what he's called you to do. The Holy Spirit is given to the church that we might be effective to be missionaries in this world. Right here in Temple, in Temple Texas, I want you to think about this. If you're a Christian this morning, and I, I almost said if you're a Christian, raise your hand. I'm not going to do that, right? If, if, you're, if you love Jesus and you've devoted your life to Jesus, you are in Temple, Texas, okay? And you've believed and heard and received a message that started in Jerusalem. Like, that's nuts, right? You've, you're not caught up in just this, like, this Central Texas thing. No, you're caught up in something that is universal and is glorious and is eternal and timeless. God has always been building a people that he can display his glory through and give his power to. God has always been building his church and building a people, and he's doing it right here in Temple, Texas. He's doing it with you, and some of you are, are going to leave. Some of you are like, I can't wait to get out of Temple, Texas. Praise God. That's fine, right? But thank God for what he did here in you. And no matter where you go, you will be his witnesses. And he wants to empower you no matter where you go. Now I want to say this. Point number three. Wherever you go, he invites you to play your part. He invites all of us to play our part. And this is where I want to spend the last few minutes of this, is this. In Acts 1.8, Acts 1.8, I believe we have that text, do we not? Acts 1.8, it says this. So this is after, after Jesus has um, been crucified and resurrect, resurrected. And the disciples say to him, Jesus, when are you going to come back? When are you going to restore your kingdom? And he says, that's not for you to worry about. Here's your responsibility. Look at the text. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, what will happen? You will be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, here in Temple, Texas, in Judea, wherever you go for college or wherever you move next, wherever you get married, into Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It means this, no matter where you go, you belong to Jesus, and therefore you bear a responsibility to speak for Jesus. You may be asking yourself, bro, not me. <laughs> no, 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 it can be a pastor. 
you know, it could be somebody in ministry, but like, I want to be a teacher, I want to be a doctor, or like, I want to go be a college athlete, or like, I just, I want to be a nurse, I just want to be a stay-at-home mom, or like, I just, but do you hear that? So much of our ministry is, is doing this, getting Christians who are ordinary people, who are not the paid professionals in ministry to believe you are far more powerful than you think you are if you depend on the presence of the Holy Spirit. You are not weak. Lift your head, sons and daughters. If you're in Christ, I don't care if you know three Bible verses. Jesus has equipped you with his gospel. He will build you up into all he wants you to be, and he will empower you to do whatever he's made you to do. Don't think, i got to go out into the world and create myself. No, no, no. Submit yourself to Jesus and say, what have you created me to do? You know how much more freeing that is to say, uh, listen, I don't exist for myself. I exist for you and your purposes. And so therefore, I don't have to stress about creating my own identity. I receive it from following King Jesus. You see this in the Bible multiple times where Moses, God calls Moses, hey, you're going to go and you're going to rescue my people. And Moses says, no, 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 no. Like use Aaron, my, my brother Aaron, dude, he's a far better preacher than me. Like, use Aaron. He's bold, and I kind of have a, 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 a stutter, right? Y'all don't read your Bible enough. Come on, man. The Bible says Moses stuttered. Y'all, do you know that? So Moses stuttered. That was a joke. You can laugh at that, right? So, yeah, thank you. Thank you. So what it's saying is whether you stutter or whether you have a lot of pimples on your face or, or, or a haircut you don't really like or, dude, we need to get out of ourselves and realize that God can use ordinary people like me, bald as I am, and you, and whatever insecure flaws you have with yourself. Man, God wants to turn our attention. He actually loves you and created you with all those quirks, by the way. But he wants us to turn our attention away from ourselves and to say, God, you can use anybody, even somebody like me. Somebody like me. No, friends, no matter who you are, it's not about who you are. It's about your obedience to what God has called you to do. And this is ours through the gospel. In, in the 1700s, have you guys ever heard of a person named Voltaire? He was a French philosopher. As soon as you go to college, you're going to read a lot about Voltaire. And Voltaire hated Christianity. <clears throat> he actually wanted to make it his aim uh, to say, listen, like, a lot of the stuff we hear in our culture today of, like, hey, follow your inner voice. Like, just express yourself, deny God, do whatever your heart tells you to do. A lot of that stuff kind of started with Voltaire and people in the Enlightenment. And one of the things, he had, but he was a great writer. He actually said some helpful things. So you'll probably read him when you get to college. He was a French philosopher, but he hated the God of the Bible with a passion. And he famously said this one time. I don't have the quote, but I want you to listen. Look at me. Voltaire said this. In 20 years, Christianity will be no more. He said this in 1714. In 20 years, Christianity will be no more. And my single hand shall destroy the structure it took 12 apostles to build. He said that in the 1700s. Now, you know what's funny? Sir, what, no, real shortly after his death is that the Geneva Bible Society purchased his gigantic mansion and they converted his home into a warehouse that shipped Bibles all over the world. So he made a lot of money telling people lies. And the moment he went into the ground, God used his house to be a storehouse for the word of God that would be shipped all over the world. God, you don't think God laughs? God has a sense of humor to say, 
you can build your life on yourself or you can lose your life and build it on me in my kingdom that will last forever. Friends, history, human history is headed towards a, an actual day that Revelation 7, 9 says this, that there's a day coming. Revelation 7, 9, and 10 says this. Revelation gives us a vision of what's coming. It says this, as I looked, behold, a great multitude of people that no one could number from every nation and from all tribes, from all peoples, in all languages. Pause. Christianity's not just an American thing. It's actually spreading rapidly all over the world. It's a multicultural faith. It's one of the things that actually testified that this is the real faith, is it's not just made just for white people or just for brown people or just for black people. No, it's actually made for all people. And therefore, it actually has demands for the whole world. But look what it says. Standing before the throne, before the Lamb, all these people clothed in white robes, all that means is that they're forgiven and washed of their sins. Whiteness in the Bible has nothing to do with skin tone. It had everything to do with purity. It's an idea that all these people from every nation are forgiven and pure because of Jesus' blood poured out for them. But look what they do. With palm branches in their hands, they cry out with loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Look at me. Your heart aches to worship something, to belong to something, to be a part of something great. And Jesus is saying, this is what it is to know me and to make me known and to build my church. And when I come again to renew the world and make all things new, if you laid down your life for me to spread my gospel in all the earth, you will not regret it. Have you ever asked yourself the question, what happens if I give Jesus my life? If I really do lose my life, and in the, in the end, it's a wasted life. What if I waste my life for Jesus? In the end, Jesus is going to lift our heads, wipe our tears, and reward all of our efforts for him. That in the end, our life won't be wasted. It will be rewarded. That he will look at you. And not, you will not be saved by how you lived your life. You will be saved by how Jesus lived his life and was crucified for the way we lived our life. Don't get me wrong. But for those of us who love Jesus, who've received forgiveness for free by faith alone, he will reward how we obeyed him. Look at me. All of you are witnesses to what Jesus has done. And he, just like he says to the early church, he says to you today, you are a witness, and therefore you bear a responsibility. So when you meet a friend at school, and they say, I don't, I don't have a faith, or they're struggling with depression or anxiety, you bear a responsibility in that moment to not say, okay, have a great day, and walk away in fear. No, you bear a responsibility to befriend that person in the love of God. Are you with me? The person that you see at your school, who every day you notice they wear long sleeves and they're cutting their wrist, and they're terrified and they think, everyone here hates me. And maybe they're on the verge of suicide. Maybe some of you are in this room this morning on that verge. I want to say, come to someone. So there's, there's friends in this room, and if you're in Christ, you are full of the love of God. Do not let that terminate on yourself. God has given you his love that you might give that love to other people. There are people in your life and in your family and in your school who God has given you his love that you might give them his love. The world is aching for love. 
And that's what the mission of the gospel is, is that, God, is that they, they would know the love of God that they're made for. So I want to give you a couple things. C.S. Lewis, as we close, said this. I know I've gone too long. C.S. Lewis said this, there are no ordinary people. Everyone you meet lives forever. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Every person you've ever met lives forever, either with God in eternity or apart from God in his judgment. And therefore, that ought to break our hearts to say, God, who? I can't save everybody. I can't even share the gospel with everybody. But there's somebody in my life that you want me to share the love of Jesus with. Who is it? I'll give you three things real quick. Number one, get outside of your clique. Get outside of your little bubble. Get into an uncomfortable relationship. Maybe hang out with someone who doesn't love Jesus. Oh, my gosh. Are you terrified of that? Trust me, you will be okay. Now, we, we don't want to be influenced by the world. We want to impact the world, right? We don't want to let culture get in us. We want the message of the gospel to get into culture. <clears throat> so there are friends that you can actually love and impact with the way you live your life. It will not corrupt you. It will be an opportunity to share the love of God. Number two, <clears throat> at your school, your community, or your places, or maybe where you hang out, or where you work out, or where you go to college, befriend someone intentionally who's different than you. Look at me. Someone who's different than you. They don't like your interests. Maybe you think they're weird deep down. That's okay. They might actually be weird, right? Befriend somebody who it actually feels uncomfortable to be friends with, right? Maybe they make less money than you or way more money than you. Maybe they're a different skin tone than you or maybe they have a different religion than you. Intentionally befriend someone for the sake of what Jesus could do in their life. Number three, <clears throat> and this is a hard one. You ready? Invite them to dinner or coffee. Invite them to dinner or coffee. Some of you are like, I don't even drink coffee. You will. College is coming, right? You will. Or, 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 or children are coming, and then, you, you know, you'll drink coffee and be on the verge of doing other things. But the point being is this. Invite someone to eat dinner with you or to drink coffee with you or to eat yogurt with you, whatever you go and do, right? Invite them not just to church. With, here, here's what we do too often. Look at me. Too often we think, I'll invite them to church, and then the church people will get them saved. Stop that. Stop that. All that is is you believing, I don't have enough. God has not given me enough. Stop that. Now, could they come to church? Sure. Bring them to church. Invite them to church. But invite them into relationship with you. Because through you, you're a witness to the gospel. You are a mission of God to them. You are the gospel to them. You are the presence of Jesus to them. Don't make them just come to your church. Sit down with them and know them as a genuine human being, an individual. Get to know them and let them get to know you for the sake of what Jesus could do in their life. <clears throat> Two things. This will not happen unless we're a people of prayer. Prayer precedes that kind of power. So I want you as a church to commit not only to praying individually, but praying together. Prayer precedes power. And lastly, the power of God is for his purposes. The power of God is for the purposes of God. Some of you are like, I don't know if I've ever experienced or felt the power of God in my life. Well, I want to challenge you with this. I'm going to close with this quote. This is from my pastor, J.R. Vassar. He says, if we aren't seeing the power of God, it's often because we aren't living lives that require it. We're often living boring lives for ourselves. 
But if we would step out into something risky and say, God, I'm going to step into a relationship or a conversation that's going to actually require some things of me. It's going to require me to know my word, to know the gospel, and to take a risk to put myself out there where I could possibly be rejected. We won't know the power of God for mission until we start living lives that require it. And I challenge you to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's pray real quick. Father, there's so many things that have been said this weekend. There's so many words that we've sung. There's so many things that we've heard from your word and things that we've learned. All of this is impossible without your Holy Spirit highlighting these things and teaching us what we actually need to hear. Jesus, you said, apart from me, we can do nothing. Apart from me, we can do nothing. We're powerless. And so I've got to pray for these students this morning. You would teach them to be people who just pray and come to you and say, Jesus, I want to know you. I want to know your power and your presence. I pray you'd teach them to rely on you and abide in your love and that you would pour out your spirit and bring revival in this city. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.